Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome to Talking Timber. I'm your host, Diane Mettler, and I'm the Executive Director of the Pacific Logging Congress. This week, we're gonna be talking to Mike Dickinson, who works for Caterpillar's Forest Division out of British Columbia, and he'll give us some insight into product development. Before we start though, we want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation. Both of these organizations provide sound technical education about the forest industry. The Pacific Forest Foundation also provides thousands of dollars in scholarships every year. Last year, they provided $22,500. You can find out more about them at www.pacificforestfoundation.org. Okay, now let's hear from Mike Dickinson. So in terms of that, I, uh, my background is in forest engineering. So I uh, went to the University of New Brunswick and did forest engineering program there. was interested in, um, in the outdoors and in forestry and, and in the engineering side of things. So what are you doing today, your average day? Uh, well, a lot of it's product development and feedback. It's working with dealers and with customers um, on some of our, what we call, product introductions or, you know, new product development programs where we're doing um, updates on machines, planning for the next um, development or launch of a, of a uh, product with different features or changes. Sometimes it can be with the emissions. Sometimes it can be with um, performance criteria, um, operator comfort, those kinds of things. So how do you come up with an idea that you're going to be working on? How do, how do they... How do you yeah. think, which is the most important or the next one to do? Or yeah, a lot of it comes it comes down to like you said, prioritization. It's definitely driven by um, customer and dealer feedback for what you know what needs to change, what would be better, um, what would help to be you know either more uh, productive, more comfortable, more efficient, things like that. And it uh, it's done through you know through a feedback process, through through machine visits, through uh, we have customer advisories and things like that. Uh, dealer advisories um, and things like that, where we get input kind of consolidated from different dealers and, and things. And um, then we just, we tend to put it towards what, um, you know, what kind of time frame would be involved to do it as well as um, how, you know, how much impact it would have. Um, some things can be done more quickly depending on the, you know, the extent of the change and some things would take more time, especially if the structural change or something that requires a lot of, um, you know, performance data and, and reliability data and things like that. So do you get feedback from, I mean, Caterpillar is a big company. So do you get feedback from all over the world or do you, do you get kind of specific to an area or that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, we do have different uh, districts or um, aspects of the company in different regions that do tend to bring that feedback and input together. And then it kind of rolls in. So we have, um, like last year, as an example, we would have a dealer advisory um, input where people came together from different parts of, of um, the world um, to get together and give input on that. Um, we're, we're getting feedback through all kinds of different channels, um, whether it's you know on-site visits, email, phone calls, that kind of thing comes in pretty regularly. And then we work uh, through it in um, prioritization to get it documented and then... Um, the um, development teams can consider what, what could be incorporated into the next product. So do your customers come up with some interesting ideas sometimes or 
Yeah, definitely. I'd say most of the change on machines is from exactly that. You know, it's just, this works well, but it would be better if it could if it could be set up this way. You know, whether it's visibility, whether it's um, you know ergonomics, like access to controls and and uh, things like that. We get a lot of feedback on things like balance, stability, lift. You know, things that are important to the machine and to the operator. Some things are related to maintenance repair. Some things are related to performance. Um, you know, some things may be related to um, to the uh, you know the operator's tab environment. Something more specific to safety. It can it can just depend. Okay, how big is your team there? You're up in Canada, right? Yeah, I'm I'm remotely based. So I mean, in terms of uh, I don't I work with a team in North America, and I also work with folks in South America and Australia, New Zealand. Um, we have people in Japan. So I've worked quite a bit with different parts of the company, um, but I don't, there's where I'm at, I'm remote based and based okay. in DC. Okay. How, how many folks are working in the, in your team there then? Um, I'd almost have to like add, <laughs> add it up. Okay. Like, there's uh, in my immediate, in my immediate work group, there's um, cause I, I work with folks that have different, machine responsibility. So I work with the, um, with the excavator or swing machine aspect of the business. And then we have, um, other people that deal with other machine types. So there'd be, uh, six of us in that immediate group, but then within the, um, NPI engineering team, I mean, there's a lot more. And then in the districts in South America and uh, Asia Pacific and North America, I mean, we have hundreds. So, um, I guess it'd be, be hard to say in terms of immediate work group, though, it's about half dozen. So what big changes have you seen happen over the last decade or so? Um, some of the biggest changes have been around engine and hydraulic uh, efficiency and, and design aspects there. Um, and, then, and then also the cab environment for operators. I'd say those are some of the biggest changes we've seen. So between engine and hydraulic design and, and interface and efficiency, and then making the cab, um, getting that improved. And that's something that we want to focus on more even in the future. But as it relates to all um, equipment types, um, you know, that's become a big needed focus and one that was overdue. Um, visibility, operator ergonomics, um, comfort level in the cab has been huge. And then the efficiency and the ability to manage hydraulics um, along with the engine and, and emissions technology that's taken on has been very, I'd say, some of the most key components. So for um, Caterpillar, what are some of the machines that are you know really popular here in forestry? Uh, some of our most popular machine models are the 568. That'd be the largest um, shovel logging machine or log loader type machine. Um, and then the 558s, one size down, uh, 548 and 538 as well. They kind of go in sequence in size okay. there. We've also got, you know, 988s for large wheel loaders. Um, those are prominent as well as the 980 and 966 log loaders. Uh, we've got the M325 or MH3040 now is replacing that for uh, wheel log handlers. And then, you know, chip dozers, D9s and D8s, some, even some D10s. So we'd see a lot of those out in the Pacific Northwest if people were hunting, looking around. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yep. So do you, I thought I um, saw, I might, might be remembering incorrectly, 
Um, I was at an event and I thought you had some uh, simulators for kids to learn on. Was that correct or? Yeah, we have, there are simulators uh, for machines as well as we had, I'm not sure if maybe you're, you might, I'm not sure if you uh, also saw there was sort of a virtual reality uh, goggle set up for the, just showing the interface on the new um, oh, that is what I saw. visibility that is what I saw. Yeah. change. Okay. Yeah. Cause there's both, there's both. Yeah. There's simulators as well as um, some of the equipment technology that's used in, in validating design. So do you use that? Yeah. Just in learning and creating a new design or do you use that for training or both or? It can be both. Yeah. A lot of it's at the, at the beginning validation phase. So there's ability to simulate, you know, what something will look like um, when it's in design. So that virtual reality setup, it's actually come a long way. It used to, there used to be sort of a huge three-dimensional, almost like a little room you'd walk into, but didn't have a ceiling to it. Um, but it would allow a virtual reality experience to, to test designs out like that from a from a 3D model um, in an engineering system, but now a lot of that can be incorporated fairly readily into a into a, uh, a virtual reality goggle setup, where you can give someone the experience of what they would be looking at uh, if that machine change had been implemented. So it's a it's a neat uh, way to show that, get feedback, and then also it's um, very relatable if uh, somebody is trying it out that wants to just understand how that works even if they don't operate a machine because you can you can do it without actually running the machine you can just sit in a in a uh, in a regular seat if you want and, and look uh, through there and see see what the operator would see if that machine was actually in, in the so air. Do you, people ever use that to make a determination whether they want to buy a machine or not um well we've used it mostly for uh feedback on the potential design change so to see what that could look like uh in terms of implementing and, and finalizing on something prior to a build. Okay. Um, now, I would say it does affect people's experiences in terms of it's good to collaborate that way and it's good to have involvement, you know, with um, with customers on that. Do you do any interaction with uh, kids who are interested in the industry? Yeah, mostly it's been like, a, like you mentioned at the Oregon Logging Conference, that, that has um, been a great aspect of that show where there's education tours coming through. Same with the PLC, the live in Woods show. Um, it's great. Uh, we've had dealer involvement where I know um, some dealers have brought simulators out to schools as well, as well as PLC members have done that. Um, so that's been good as well, for sure. It's, uh, I think, well-received. I know the simulator is always yeah. popular. Um, we've had the machine simulator out at those as well. And uh, definitely, I think it gets a lot of interest from from people as well. Yeah, so for you, do you see opportunities for the next generation to get into the industry? Yeah, I do. I think um, there are a lot of opportunities. I think it's been, you know, shown over time that equipment and, um, you know, of course, industry in general, but equipment as well is becoming more and more refined and more comfortable and more, um, there's more technology involved, which I think is exciting. And there's also, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of opportunities for, for good Good work and um, good work environment being outside and um, being you know in, in state of the art technology and not only on a, on running equipment but you know in terms of service and repair or outdoor whether it's you know forest technology or forest operations or forest engineering or any other other aspects but um, but even the amount of um, technology when it comes to repairing and maintaining equipment is exciting now as well and I think that 
keeps people's interest as well or captivates people's interest. So what's your most uh, enjoyable part of your day? Um, well, I think I think anytime you can make a positive change, you know, we're all kind of working toward that every day. And then there's days where uh, you get things move, moved ahead and you can see things come to, you know, come to um, to be realized, whether it's a, yeah. a machine change and visit with a customer that's had something happen that benefited them that maybe they brought brought up as an improvement. Those are those are things I think um anytime you can get that sort of design and development aspect merged with the people that actually benefit from it and um you know have asked for it is is rewarding I think. We want to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation. This year, the Pacific Logging Congress will be holding its annual virtual auction on December 18th. The proceeds will go to the Pacific Forest Foundation to support forestry education. To find out more, just go to www.pacificloggingcongress.org auction. We also want to thank our sponsors, Timber West Magazine and Logging and Sawmilling Journal, which cover, among other things, mechanized harvesting processes and techniques. You can subscribe to either of these magazines at www.forestnet.com. Okay, let's hear more from Mike. Do you have an example of a design you've worked on that you're kind of proud of? Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of different changes come up over time. Nothing that I would claim as my own my own doing necessarily, but as, as part of a team, you know, we've implemented changes, um, customer driven changes on things like swing torque where we've had to make updates to our machines to to gain performance and that when that's well received and comes together well it's it's been a good thing Um, same with some cab updates that we've done where we've had to implement new cab design and and had things um be well received that way those are a couple that are that are big same with some under undercarriage changes which are, are important especially in forestry around undercarriage yeah no, oh, that sounds fun. So, for you, the um, Caterpillar is a big company. Is what makes it a little different from the other companies for you, anyway? They definitely look out for their people and, and put the customer first. You know, they they believe in supporting customers and dealers and kind of working together on things. So, to me, that's I, I value that quite a bit. And so, all right, have you kind of moved up the ranks in Caterpillar, or did you kind of come in where you are now, or? Um, yeah, I've always been, you know, I shouldn't say always been, but I've been field-based uh, for most of my career, and that's what I enjoy doing. Um, so I've taken on a few different responsibilities in that time, and, and okay. I guess, as you said, I've changed over time in terms of job responsibility and and position. Um, I've covered different regions within North America, and then kind of most recently um, worked with some other regions outside North America as well. Okay. How long have you been with Cat? Nineteen years. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah. Two thousand one I started and, and I uh moved to Illinois for a few years when I first started at Cat. Uh lived there for three years and then can't I knew I was coming back to Canada after that and uh you know, that's kind of a way to learn the company and work within um you know, within the factory as well as within the um office environment and the marketing group there too. So when you are at a show, 
like Oregon Logging Conference or the Live Wood Show for PLC, and people come up and they're looking at the equipment, what what things are they looking for usually? Or at the questions that they generally ask you? They're often looking for what's, uh, you know, different or new about the machine. Sometimes they'll be pointing out uh, things that they'd like to see changed. And, and oftentimes it's just looking at what what's different from the the most recent model, you know, what, what's changed over time is, is often part of the discussion. A lot of people here have a, have lots of cats in their fleet. Are they, do you have guys, kind of your loyal fans who are cat centric? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, yeah, there's um, certainly, and a lot of that, in, in a lot of those cases, that's, um, you know, input that's come from, you know, from customers that have large fleets or have multiple experience with multiple um, different generations of the product for sure. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's excellent. Yeah, you kind of have your fans, so to speak. So do you guys ever do any um, interns for kids or, uh, you know, college students or high schoolers or? Yeah, there are. Um, it's typically done in, uh, in Illinois. They have, oh, we have a, um, an internship program that, uh, where they, people get brought in and it's also done in the factory environment as well. Different facilities have different internship placements as well, um, depending on the location. How would someone go about finding those? Just jump on their website, or yeah, absolutely. There's the there is a a place within cat uh, within cat.com to inquire about things uh, around that with employment and recruitment. So, looking ahead five, ten years, what changes do you see are going to be happening in equipment? Um, I think we're seeing, you know, a, a lot of development right now on electrohydraulic controls, um, a lot around fuel efficiency that's, that's happening now. And then, um, of course, you know, around operator cabs, like I mentioned, um, have evolved quite a bit. And um, I think that'll continue in some, in some cases. They've already become very, very refined. Um, but I think certainly with electrohydraulics, I think that's going to become more and more prevalent as well. Okay. As, as well as fuel efficiency. Okay. And with um, COVID being such a big topic right now and borders closed a little bit here, um, is it causing more challenges for you and your team? Uh, it's been different. I think, I think everyone's managing things a little differently now. Like you mentioned, with the impact of COVID, less travel, certainly more um, virtual meetings, things like that. And um, it's been, in some ways, it's been very positive, too, in the sense that just being able to connect um, sometimes with, with more people or people that haven't been connected with as much in the past just by virtue okay. of how things are being conducted. So in that sense, there's been some gains, but it's definitely been a uh, challenge, you know, in terms of other aspects. Um, you know, things were disrupted quite a bit in the early spring and into the summer, and um so that's been a big change this year for sure. But we're just trying to do more more and more virtually as best we can. Do you think some things will stay the same, what you're doing now, that the virtual aspect? Uh, yeah, I think there'll be some gains that way, like in terms of the familiarity level of it, if you will, in some cases. Like it'll be more, it'll probably run a little more smoothly too. I think there's probably been a few lessons learned in terms of that. Like I think um, a lot of this type of collaborating um, the tools that are used for collaboration, I think, are getting more and more use, which can be helpful. Um, it still doesn't replace, uh, you know, face-to-face meetings and especially being around equipment, but 
when it comes to, you know, communicating, training, you know, getting input, things like that, especially with um, reaching, you know, wider groups when it doesn't require as much travel. That's been, that's been a benefit, I suppose. Do any of the guys who get the machines do any of the training on simulators or anything like that? Or Some do. It's often done through, um, through some of the training schools, like whether it's a okay. college or, or a um, operator training program. Uh, those will have uh, machine simulators in cases. Uh, some dealers will have simulators in their own fleet as okay. well. Um, but oftentimes when it's done in a, in a kind of a certified environment, it's done through a, through an accredited training program and they'll have um, simulators on, on site for a few different types of machines and cases as well. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And do you find that you have to do, I, I'm just curious, um, when you're designing machines, um, are there, do you run like minor changes for things maybe in South America than up in the Northwest? I mean, do you, what's uh, the word I'm looking for? You know, oops, um, like, cater a machine but you know are they sort of one-offs a little bit yeah yeah are they kind of one-offs or do you yeah yeah we have we do have a lot of well we have different uh requirements in different regions that we will incorporate um some of those can be um specific safety requirements in certain regions some can be more to do with um performance requirements even transport requirements like certain areas like you mentioned in south america or Different areas may have um, transport width or hauling requirements. They may have different um, safety requirements or just machine application requirements. So yeah, we do we do have those types of things uh, definitely. And even some places have different uh, source facilities or different factories producing a machine uh, in one region versus the other. Okay. So we have that uh, aspect as well, depending on regional needs and, and you know location. So is it? Are there how many? Factories are there around? I've I've been to Illinois and they have an amazing factory there. Is there quite a few around for? Yeah, first? there's lots. Of, I'd have to count them up, but yeah, I mean Victoria, Texas, we have facilities there. Decatur, Illinois, Peoria, Illinois. There's facilities in um, North Carolina, Georgia. I mean, we have a quite a few Arkansas, quite okay. a few different facilities, um, and then worldwide, you know, in Japan and in Brazil. In, throughout Europe, so China, and there's um, a number of places, uh, so lots of production facilities worldwide. Wow, cool. So how many of them have you been to? Do you get a chance to go check them all out? You know what? I'd, I'd have to add that up. I don't know. I'd say <laughs> about half a dozen probably at least, yeah, maybe right. maybe a dozen, somewhere in that range. It depends. Yeah, I'd have to reflect on that a little bit. But yeah, I'd say um, probably... Around ten or twelve, yeah. Ah, are they very different between them? Uh, they can be a lot of a lot of times. They're different different levels of um, when they were built. You know, depending on when they were built yeah. as well as what they produce. So some may do um, finished machine builds. Some may do everything from fabrication and machining right to complete machine build, uh, depending on the site location and what they're making. So that can be pretty interesting as well. Some are component facilities, like whether it's an engine or transmission or undercarriage, and some are full machine facilities as well. We appreciate you taking time today to listen to Talking Timber. We want to thank Mike Dickinson as well as our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress. And also thank you to Timber West Magazine and Logging and Sawmilling Journal. 
Again, the PLC auction is going to be December 18th at 6 p.m. online. You can register and be part of it by going to www.pacificloggingcongress.org auction.